0: It's heavyweight king, Curtis Lewa, in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest on New York's news and talk station. 77 WABC.
1: Wow. This I can't believe is you, Anthony I mean, no, know Sade. No, it isn't. By the way, what's going on? Where is she? Sade. She was out of the U.K. No, but I, she hasn't
2: done much. I mean, she was, uh, this this record it was, it was amazing. Yes. Like every song on
1: it. Pretty depressing, her, her whole tone from time to time. And you know who this reminds me of? Oh, this has got to be leftovers from Bold snurdly who was on this morning from <laughs> 7 to 10. Absolutely. Absolutely. He, he strikes me yeah. as a Sade kind of guy. Notice, low-key depressed. This guy left me. I'm in depression. I'll never recover. Life is horrible.
2: I don't know. This is kind of, this is, this is not, this is soul. This is good soulful music. Talking
1: about smooth operator That's yeah. probably Bo Snurley, probably the way man. he used to be when he went to Jackson High School, Southeast Queens, and he was a player. He was a player. No doubt. No 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 I I could tell your personality, your character by the songs you play. This is definitely out of the Bow Snerdly playlist, I guarantee you. But anyway, Anthony, I heard your discussion in your show in the middle. Excellent discussion about the EPA, its purpose in coming about. If I correct me if I'm wrong, did that come about in the Nixon administration? It was. It
2: was a Nixon
1: yeah, Nixon agency. And badly needed, and I know a lot of conservatives Right? what the hell are you talking about, Curtis? Well, let me apply it, not necessarily to the air, because you fully discussed that, the United States Supreme Court decision. I want to apply it to the lead story today dealing with oceans. And the lead story is potential shark attacks. The great whites are on the move They're moving towards your liberal friends in Cape Cod and Martha's Vineyard. They will all be stranded having to drink their martinis, you know, with their little olive in it, instead of swimming in the drink. Then we had the attack on Jones Beach. Jones Beach. Yeah, but was it an attack?
2: It's a very strange report. Like, no one is saying for sure if if it was. If it was. um, It might just have been, I don't know, a very big fellow swimmer or something like that. Not sure.
1: Well, You know something, Bruce Blakeman, who is now the county executive. I don't think he bit anybody. His claim to fame before that is that he was married to the woman who is married now to Mr. 80-year-old Paul McCartney. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, she was on the MTA board, never went to one meeting, nothing, because she was the daughter of a big trucker magnet and actually contributed a lot to the promo uh, campaign. She did nothing for years. And then all of a sudden, she marries Paul McCartney after divorcing Bruce Blakeman. Bruce Blakeman unexpectedly won uh, against Laura Curran right? Uh, because of the whole uh, no-cash-bail situation. I mean, there was a lot of synergy out there. But out there in Long Island now, there's a real fear that the big white ones and the bullhead sharks and the other sharks are feeding close to the shore. In fact, Laura Curran uh, had established a warning, you know, like, They'll put up a red flag if there's no lifeguards. Most people don't even know what that means. Uh, My father taught me at an early age. He was a merchant seaman, 54 years, Anthony. He said, look, a red flag means no lifeguard, could be undertow. If you're not really a great swimmer, you can't go in there, Curtis. You can't go in because you'll be swept out and that's it. It's over. It's over. You'll be shark bait. He even used that term, shark bait. (laughs) This is back in the 60s. Then Laura Curran developed a purple flag, not in honor of Prince, but rather a purple flag with a white shark silhouette on it that would be hung on the beach's entrance if a shark had been spotted in the previous 24 hours. Correct. And this became the problem. And a lot of people wondering, how come all these shark sightings, how come all these sharks that are coming so close to shore feeding? Well, part of the reason is the EPA did such a good job cleaning up the waters, the ocean waters. Because at one point, it was filled with surge, flotsam, and jetsam. The sharks, wise enough, decided, we're going to stay offshore. We're not coming close. The closer you came, the more sewage you had to deal with. And because the EPA standards forced municipalities no longer to... Uh, sludge, uh, barge, uh, their sludge out like 12 miles no, off. No, and
2: also the effluent that came up. You know, when we flush our toilets or when we go, when we pour water or it rains and it goes down the catch basins, it has to be processed now before it's sent out into the seas. That's why these, these giant wastewater treatment plants that we have out in southern Brooklyn, out at Owl's Head, that's all over the world, all over the world, all over the country, rivers and ocean fronts are much cleaner than they used to be because of the Clean Water Act.
1: And I'll never forget... The two titans battling over this, you had Christine Todd Whitless, the governor of New Jersey, Republican. Did you see Whitless? Yes, Whitless. uh uh-huh, okay. Because at time, she's, she's very witless. Uh, remember, <laughs> she did the pat-down of the suspect in Camden County, you know, profiling him. And she had no idea what she was doing at that time in Camden. But put that aside, she took on Rudy Giuliani, the Republican mayor of the city of New York. And people were wondering, gee, still Republicans. Why are they battling one another? Because each was blaming the other state for dumping sewage 115 miles offshore, somewhere between, like, Atlantic City and Point Pleasant. I mean, there was this huge area just completely filled with sewage. So Rudy was saying, it's New Jersey sewage that is coming onto our beaches. You know, Coney Island, Brighton Beach, Manhattan Beach, the Rockaways. And he went out there and he showed the needles and the uh, tampons and the pampers and everything else. So Christine uh, Whitman, she went to the Jersey Shore and she did one better. She actually went through the debris and showed all the markings from New York City, products from New York City, products disposed by the Department of Health, Department of Hospitals from New York City. And then the EPA moved in and said, stop, stop this fighting. This is nonsensical. It's because both the states are dumping their waste offshore, it's coming onshore, and it's destroying the quality of the water. So the EPA moved in and muscled both New York State and uh, New Jersey. Now you have clean water. As a result of clean water, there are more sharks. They are frolicking, uh, they are fornicating, copulating, whatever they do out there to procreate. And so you got all these sharks out there swimming around, enjoying themselves for the first time, no flotsam and jetsam, and they're coming closer and closer yeah, I mean, and there's closer a couple to other, shore. Right.
2: There's a couple of things that work. Also, they believe because with climate change, waters are getting warmer, and so it's leading them to kind of try to get in closer to shore. But the other thing, in an effort to cut down on these sharks, they were giving them tickets for getting too close to the shore, and they found out the sharks are not going to pay the tickets, Curtis. They're not going to show up in court. They're not going to have land sharks that are going to show up. They're not going to hire lawyers. They're not going to hire the octopus, whoever goes and represents them. So, um, I mean, these big government solutions have failed us.
1: Well, one thing sharks have proven, they don't care what your politics is. They struck this young lady down in Florida. Now, this is an interesting story. So she's swimming around in Florida, DeSantis land, you know, red state. Right. And this uh, shark comes up and bites her in the thigh. Now, she has been trained. You poke the shark in the eyes. Remember, like, the three yes. stooges poke him in the eyes and hit him in the snout, which is all correct. You're supposed to do that. She's hitting him in the snout. He won't let go. Her brother jumps in, starts hitting the shark. The shark won't let go. The poor young lady is in the hospital. She'll lose her leg as a result of the shark, just like with a vice grip, just locking onto her thigh. And now people in Florida don't want to go in the winter well water. And you know how many miles. Yeah. like I think 8,000 miles or 800 I forget the total. Both the East Coast and the West Coast. There are a few shark attacks, but all it takes is one attack.
2: Yeah, there's something about shark attacks that strikes our fancy ever since Jaws came out, I guess, in 77. And the, the, the fact is, your chances of being struck by a shark are way lower than getting struck by lightning, for example. But we love these stories, and we don't think of them around New York beaches. But if you look at the geography of where they are, you know, if you want to go, you can get now charter a boat off the tip of Montauk, and they chum the waters, and there are sharks all over the place there. We're not that far from that. But um, but yeah, you're right in your original premise that it's the water that is a lot it's a lot cleaner, and it also means with cleaner water, more people are going in. Yes, visibility is better. You know, the sharks can see stuff better. And uh, but uh, yeah, that's, it is a um, it is the kind of problem that usually will come with with better. Now, now they've also tried to figure out in other up in New England, for example, what is the humane way to deal with this problem? Do you want to? Do the, you know they 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 thought about having having people go out and try to you know kind of keep these sharp sharks away. They've tagged some sharks to be able to follow where they go. It's a lot of solutions. Look, it's their water. You know, that's the, where they live. We're the visitors, not them. You know, there's this notion that we get to go wherever we want. No, it's their water. If they want to, you know, take a bite of us, I, 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 I don't think we should be that concerned. The beaches of Rockaway are amazing. The beaches of the Hamptons, beautiful. We are, we are blessed to have beautiful beaches here.
1: Oh, there's no doubt. Unfortunately, in the Rockaways, again, not enough lifeguards. Right. You see the red flags up between like 92nd and 106, and yet people flock to the beaches, and they don't care, even when they're told what the red flag means. You know, some of them are, what, are the communists coming ashore? You know, I hear Mark Levin talking about the communists are coming to get us. No, no, the red flag has nothing to do with communism. It means that it is bereft. The, uh, the beach is bereft. There are no lifeguards there. You should not swim in that water. And,
2: by the way, if you're in the... I'm going to say the 40, the Beach 40s so is about the beach, beach 80th almost. There are these giant old fashioned um, jetties that were built way back when that have created real riptides. I mean, sharks are nothing. Those, those riptides that are there will suck you right out from the beach if you're not careful. And frequently, they're not protected by lifeguards at all.
1: Oh, no, no, no doubt. But, but let me give you an idea. When I was a kid, my father, who would be out to sea eight months of the year, he'd be home four months, he was home one summer. And he said, kids, we're going in. Come on. Mom, get the kids. We're going in the the 54 Ford Old Betsy. It was the station wagon with the uh, white, uh, white, white wall tires, uh, the wood panels. The wood
2: panels. We had had a country squire in our household.
1: Oh, yeah. Okay. Station wagon. That that was multi purpose. And he said, we're going to Jones Beach, South Shore Jones Beach. Oh, Jones Beach. It was tremendous because before that we would go to Sunken Meadows Park on the North Shore Long Island Sound, which, uh, you know, wasn't like the Atlantic Ocean. So you know what the traffic is like, getting out to Jones Beach, State Beach. And then we finally get out, and I'll never forget, cars were turning around. And my father was saying, there must be a problem here. Uh, Curtis uh, Alida, my older sister, Maria, my younger sister. And I'll never forget, there was a big sign. It said, warning, this beach is not safe for bathing due to the impure quality of the water. Not sharks, yeah, but because of the uh, the sewage in the water. And it was closed. So my father says, tell you what, let's go cross island. We'll go to Sunken Meadow Park. You'll go swimming in the North Shore there Long Island South. Dad, we do that <laughs> like once a month. No, I don't want to go to Sunken Meadow Park. You told me Jones Beach, the Atlantic Ocean. He said, kid, you don't have a choice in this. Get into the car. We're going right. over to Sunken Meadows Park now. <laughs> and then we had a struggle cross island all the way. Finally, we made it before the sun came down. I think we jumped in there for about an hour. But blood, it had nothing to do with sharks yeah, back The
2: other thing about Jones Beach is you got to, even if you got to start your day early because the parking lots fill up. And if you get down there and the lots are full, like there's no plan B. There's no like, uh, there's there's no second spot to go, but... But, yeah, it used to be, and not 50 years ago, like five, six, seven, eight years ago, you would read stories as a matter of, you know, of like sir, literal syringes washing, washing yeah. up on the beach. It was, uh, it was really a mess because what would happen is a lot of the sewage would be pumped without any filter at all out into the water, and they would just rely upon the the, 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 the tides to, to, you know, move it. And if tides were going in a certain direction or the water was particularly still for whatever reason, it would just come right back onto shore and it was horrible. And it's not just us. You know, love that dirty water. Uh, what is it? Cleveland, you're my home. Like there, the, the Cleveland River was lighting on fire. The Gowanus Canal was, right. was an international joke. All of these bodies of water. Now when you go to the Gowanus Canal, there are people, that are, there, are, there, are, um, there are kayaking clubs, there are fishing clubs. You know, this is a real, a real example of a law that worked to clean water.
1: In Act. fact, the Hutchin River. Right, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. I'll never forget. He was having a benefit. The I guess it was the River Walkers, the River Keepers, and I forget who it was. It was playing the banjo uh, again. Nice guy, but a lifelong communist. It'll come to me. He's playing his banjo. Oh, on way, Pete That's right, Pete Seeger. He's playing the banjo. Lots of people there. Lots of upscale people, and I get into an argument with Robert Kennedy Jr. at that time. And he says he challenges me to swim across the East River because they talked about when we were kids, we would jump in the East River. Me and my crazy cousins. No. Yes. And you had a watch for the undertow. You had a watch. You got a little too far off the pier. That was it. You were gone. Yeah. So he looks at me and he goes, hey, why don't you and me? We swim across the East River now. We'll see. We'll see more of a man. Now, You know, you think you're a big, tough guy. He's doing this in front of like a few hundred people. And I'm, like, ready to strip down on my BVDs. He's ready to strip down. Lisa was with me at That's that time. Wild. She goes, you got to stop. <laughs> Curtis, both of you are going to die. Look at the undertow out there. You could actually see it near the Brooklyn Bridge. Never
2: mind the undertow. The current itself, you know, they, they have those ferries that run along the East River, so I take them a lot. Those That current is so thick it's so choppy that the ferries have to kind of leave themselves a lot of yeah. room to get pulled back in because that's how far off. But that is by the way, you we have learned, and this is something that you had early insight on, Bobby Kennedy is a bit of a whack job. Yes. He is he is not in touch with the mothership. And like so you probably saw a little bit of that uh, a little bit of that back. But then, that was a then. good
1: cause. He was in play Oh yeah though. the River
2: Keepers are a great organization. And by the way, the East River too, every once in a while you'll see a seal or a sea lion like halfway up, like, 23rd Street, you know, like, all the way around up in, into the river because, again, they're much cleaner than they used to be. They're oh, much more welcoming than they used to be.
1: And then General Electric, which was up near Schenectady, oh, yeah. you had the CEO, the guy from Boston, who was always on with Imus at that time, Imus That's in right. the morning. Forget his name. He was a Weisenheimer. And they had been dropping uh, out of Bob the we- – Bob Welsh. Bob, yeah, Bob. Uh, Welsh.
2: Welsh. Welsh or, Walsh, Walsh, or something think, like that. Right. Yeah, okay. Uh, Jack Welch.
1: Right, Jack Welch. And they had been pumping in just toxic waste into the Hudson River for years. So he says, there's no toxicity in the Hudson River. I'll take a glass of water right now and drink it. Never did because he would have been glowing in the dark at (laughs) night. Thank God they cleaned up the Hudson River. Thank God. So actually, even though he's a bit of a whack job, uh, Bobby Kennedy uh, Jr., he did a good job, along with the banjo playing Pete Seeger, who would go up and down on that skiff, you know, up and right. down the Hudson River. But,
2: you know, this is – and I don't want to – I don't want us to get heavy here. It's Independence Day weekend, things we're grateful for. We have amazing country. You know, these are laws that work, administered by bureaucrats that were working for the best interests of our kids and the best interests of our environment, and they worked. You know, we have this notion government is bad, keep government out of our lives. Only government can clean up bodies of water, put regulations in place to do these kinds of big things. And the Clean Water Act is an example. In the Clean Air Act, too. You know, every third day there was a smog alert, in the, you know, in the 80s and 90s around here. And now the air is a lot cleaner because factories have been told that they can't just emit into the air anything that they want. These limits are reasonable. Congress decided on them. And they've been implemented by agencies, and they've worked, and we're better off because of them.
1: Although our colleague, Tony Orlando, without Dawn, who's on Saturday nights from 10 to 12, before I return uh, to give you the other other side of midnight from 12 to 6 to the break of dawn, he tells a great story. He's part Puerto Rican, part Greek. He's related. I think he's a cousin, a distant cousin of John Matitas. He grew up in Hell's Kitchen. In the tenements, he was up on the rooftops. He'd look at the lights of Broadway, and he said, "One day, just one day." Mm-hmm. But you know what he would do for relief of the summer heat? He and the other kids in Hell's Kitchen would swim in the Hudson River. And that was a time where they pumped raw sewage in there, so it built up his immunity system. Huh. Because when all of that sewage is flowing down, right, you build up your immunity system the hard way. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Guarantee, yeah. guarantee you. Guarantee you. You can't do that anymore.
2: Definitely not. But it is not like even if you, you know, they'll have something. You 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 just like you know, like toss a, a a flower or a leaf into that. Just watch the current is just zipping. It, it, is a, it is a choppy waterway.
1: By the way, up next, the luckiest man in the world, in fact, is a Boricua, Puerto Rican from the Bronx. I don't think anybody who's hit Powerball or Lotto has ever scored like uh, Bobby Bonilla. And up next, we have to talk about he just keeps churning out that money while sitting in his retirement home down in Sarasota saying, hey, July 1st, ka-ching, ka-ching. Another kind of Independence Day that he has because of those checks. Ka-ching. Right here on your place to be, it's left versus right. Anthony Weaney, yours Julie Curtis-Lee. If you missed any of Anthony's solo show in the middle two to three just get it in podcast form like you can all the other great shows here at wabc at wabc com.
0: hey it's ryan reynolds and i'm here with keith co-star of my upcoming film if only in theaters may 17th do you want to tell people the big news the left corner it's anthony wiener it's a 77 wabc debate heavyweight slugfest
1: a Uh, little billy preston he used to be the opening act for the rolling stones imagine this their world tour they'd always have billy preston Going around in circles, although, before we talk about the luckiest man alive, Bobby Bonilla. I got to tell you, I am very aggravating. I'm going to be listening intensely at 4 o'clock after our show, when normally it's the best of, really the worst of, The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. I'm so happy that's been knocked out of the box Thank goodness. Thank goodness. But if you notice the promo... Just said episode six of all the morning shows that have been here at WABC when we were spinning stacks of wax, number one, in the nation, and then when we went talk. They mentioned a, a whole panoply of different morning shows. Yeah. And then, hello, uh, I'm Werner, I'm Ross. Who the hell are these guys? I, I, I never listened to them. What happened to me? Uh, like a filter fish, I had two morning shows. Remember the one with Lisa uh, Angels in the Morning, I 91 do. and 94? And then with Ron Cooby, whose mommy was a commie for about 12 years. I didn't even mention. You think I got yeah. left on the cutting room floor? I don't know.
2: I mean, look, we know Kevin makes these decisions on who he's going to put in. I'm I, 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 I want. going to listen. I was going to listen anyway. Now I'm going to listen. How do you do a thing? that This episode is dedicated to the morning shows. Correct. So I assume most of it is going to be, and if I don't, I mean, I'm going to listen, and if I don't get it, I'll, you know, the the Red Apple Podcast Network has it. I assume it's just because they want everyone to tune in to wonder what happened. Maybe wait a minute, did you go by a different name at that no, time?
1: Anthony. I mean,
2: who, who I, are these guys? Who are those guys that they're they're? I don't know. Well, we'll we'll see. But by the way, I I the first radio station I remember listening to music wise was ABC back in the day when I was a kid. Hello, we're Ross.
1: I'm Wilson. Who the hell are they? No,
2: no idea. No idea. Well, this I, is just another insult. I mean, I gotta tell you, this is. I'm on yours. I'm on Team Curtis here. This is just another another slight here. But let's wait and see because I'm gonna tune in because I think it's that's the kind of. I, I think it's gonna be very interesting. The history of this place is amazing. I know, but that's half
1: my broadcast life was spent in the morning morning drive on WABC. Right. Not even a mention. Yep. Oh, I'm going to be listening. In and jungle. and also, they're doing the promo
2: on your show. Yeah. So your listeners are like, they're, they're outraged. Yeah, right they're now. saying,
1: what, what are you talking about? Yeah, I hear you. you. You don't even mention yep. Curtis? Yep. Hello, we're Ross. I'm Wilson. Never heard of them in yep. my life. People yeah. with no consequence. I'm anyway, a New York man who is not of no consequence, Bobby Bonia, just to give you a little of his background, born and raised in the Bronx, went to Lehman High School, which right now is Little Albania. Guy was great in high school. Did not get drafted out of high school. You know why? Because the scouts said, eh, nobody in the Bronx. No, no. And they said, well, Ed Cranepool, you know, Monroe High School. Uh Hank Greenberg, Monroe High School. That was then, not now. So he goes to New York uh, Tech. And then he gets drafted by a scout who's in Europe. He goes to Pittsburgh, the Pittsburgh Pirates. He teams him up with Barry Bonds. They have incredible years. He almost became the MVP. The Mets signed him for the highest bonus ever $6 million signing bonus. And then, well, let's face it, you didn't get what Fred uh, Will Ponzi had invested, did you? Right. So,
2: I mean, so July 1st is Bobby Benilla Day. And why is it that? Is because when Bobby Benilla was released in 1999, the Mets still owed him $6 million. Okay. So instead of paying him that money, and this is the way the story goes. I couldn't find anyone to confirm this for me, but Fred Wilpon, who owned the team at the time, said, I am making so much money, so much returns on my Bernie Madoff investments that the longer I can defer paying out anybody, I'm going to be able to more than make up the difference. It's called the opportunity cost of the money. If I give it to Bob Vinny, I won't have it. So he says, "I'll, I'll do this deal with your agent. I will defer paying you this $6 million for 10 years. And then instead of $6 million, I will pay you $29.8 million. So instead of six, he said twenty-nine point eight, and I'll spread it out over 25 years. Now, you're saying why would um, why would he possibly – why would the Mets possibly do that? Because, again, they're thinking the math. They're thinking the combination of inflation, rise of costs, and everything else. For Bobby Bonilla's agent, who now he goes around bragging everyone, I did this deal, it meant $1.2 million every year on July 1st. That the Mets are going to pay, now Cohen is paying it, until, for, spread out over 25 years. That's another 13 years we get to celebrate this. But all Mets fans know this. Every July 1st, even Steve Cohen yesterday put out a tweet, you know, enjoy Bobby Bonilla Day. But what New York Islanders fans had the equivalent of that on July 1st with someone who was on a radio station across town named Rick DiPietro. He was a goalie for the Islanders. That was drafted number one overall in the amateur draft. Um, I think he was, I don't know, I remember, what, I think it was 2000 or 2001. He signed a 15-year, $67.5 million contract. And when they bought him out, it meant that he would get $1.5 million every year until the end of the 28-29 season. But why is this a big one this year? Why are Islander fans in particular staring at it this year? The person, the goalie they had to get rid of to make room both in the roster and in their uh, their salaries was a guy named Roberto Luongo. That guy got inducted into the Hall of Fame this year, just this week. Roberto Luongo, who was cut by the Islanders, who actually was traded away by the Islanders, to make room for this superstar, uh, Rick DiPietro, who, like I said, is now on ESPN Radio. And now we are paying this guy, Rick DiPietro. He was a bust. Maybe, some people would argue this, maybe the worst contract in the history of the NHL, 15 years, $67.5 million. They got rid of Roberto Luongo, now a Hall of Fame goaltender. And every year, I believe also on July 1st, he gets paid $1.5 million. Now, so that's a close second in the worst contract in New York sports history.
1: Now, you know who negotiated that sweetheart deal for Bobby Monia with Fred Ponzi was Bobby Monia's wife. They still live together. You can understand why. (laughs) He lived in Stamford at the time, which is where his manager, remember, Bobby Valentine, ran for mayor recently and lost. I'll never forget, here was the Mets, what was it, Game 6 against the Braves, the National League uh, Championship uh, playoffs. And then all of a sudden, Ricky Henderson and Bobby Bonilla are playing cards in the clubhouse. It's extra innings. Remember, Bobby Valentine comes out with a mustache on Everything to distract. Bobby Bonilla gets paid over a million dollars a year. He's in his retirement compound in Sarasota, Florida, saying, you know, it's great to be part of the Boricua yeah, posse coming out of the Bronx. Yeah, it's it's good to be. Remember, he didn't get recognized early on. He was a great ball player. I remember hearing about him in high school. Right.
2: Undrafted. But
1: him and Bonds in
2: Pittsburgh were
1: a thing. That
2: was a phenomenon. And, uh, and there was high hopes Were high hopes when, when we got him, and then, well, like a lot of those deals, you know they, the they went sour.
1: Uh, when Bonds went to San Francisco, he started roiding up, and apparently Bobby Bonilla never roided up. So now you know the rest of the story. Anyway, up next, you're going to have to explain this. Uh, Joe Bacocco was the leg breaker, the wartime consigliere for the Cuomo's. He went away. He was uh, setting six years for corruption, ended up doing four. He's back out. And the United States Supreme Court will hear his case in the next coming docket. You got to explain it because the guy was guilty of political corruption, and they may have a ruling that makes political corruption okay by some people. Oh, you're not going to want to miss this on Left versus Right: Anthony Weiner versus Curtis Lewis, exclusively here on WABC.
0: is the right. In the right corner, it's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa. In the left corner, it's Anthony Weiner.
1: What is this, Buddy Rich? That's Zeppelin. Oh, that's right, Zeppelin. But I'm sure the drummer on almost every major rock and roll band in the world followed buddy rich playing remember who was that that, that great movie i think sinatra is in uh man with a golden arm you know oh, yeah. he's shooting up playing the drums oh that reminds me that's right joe piscopo a sinatra two-hour extravaganza sunday jersey joe will be there sponsored by ramsey Mazda. i hope he talks about a man with the golden arm i think buddy rich and frank sinatra were really tight i think they did you know he tells such great stories ...about uh, Frank Sinatra, and he mentions Buddy Rich from time to time. Maybe the greatest drummer of all time, but this is your sweet spot, Anthony Weiner. I never thought in my life that after Joe Pococo, who was the wartime conciliary for first Mario, who uh, developed him... uh, ...he had grown up in the Bronx, then moved to Rockland County, went to high school there, then went to Wagner uh, in Staten Island College, graduated joined the Cuomo campaign to reelect Mario Cuomo governor, learned everything, became, uh, as Andrew Cuomo said in the eulogy to his own father, he said, Joe Coco was closer to my father than either me or my younger brother uh, were. He, he was like Mario's son. And the guy just knew politics. He knew how to sweet talk you, and he knew how to basically muscle you. Uh, He ended up going away, getting a six-year term for political corruption. He took about $300,000 from contributors uh, at the time where uh, Andrew Cuomo was running for re-election. He was no longer in the government as, I guess you call him, the general secretary to the governor and the executive mansion. But he was now the campaign manager. He did four years out of the six-year term, had early release for COVID and uh, for good behavior. And so he's out. Yet his lawyers went to the United States Supreme Court, and I know that there are many requests for the court to hear cases that get rejected. To take
2: cert is what they call it. Right,
1: and almost inevitably most cases are rejected. They accepted this case on the basis, the argument from his attorneys are, if you're in government, let's just say that he was continuing to be the executive secretary to then-Governor Andrew Cuomo. And he was receiving these donations and pocketing them. Well, yes, that's definitely a crime. But he was campaign manager at the time. He was no longer in government. He might not be necessarily guilty of a violation. And I'm saying, what? You've been in many campaigns. Well, you
2: to- you you kind of glossed over when you say he took these contributions. No, he was paid as a private citizen to try to influence the outcome in gover- uh, of a government thing, you know, I don't know exactly what the details were. He was paid to do it. Like, people are paid all the time. There's a ton of money in trying to influence outcomes of government policies. I was a consultant for a while when I left Congress, People would pay me to say, give me advice. I want this particular outcome, or I want this particular program to go my way, or I want to figure out how my product or service gets bought by the government, whatever it is. Happens all the time. Were
1: you a lobbyist at that time? I was not. As a okay. matter of
2: fact, i I'm bright-lined, big, bold type in my contracts. I said, anything that would require me to register as a lobbyist, I'm not going to do for you. But all if right. you just want a kibitz, you want advice, and whatever it is. Okay. And then they went and hired lobbyists if they needed to actually go and do it. Right. So I have long been of the opinion that the courts have increasingly been criminalizing normal political stuff that people just find distasteful. For example, you know, I think that this lieutenant governor candidate, Benjamin, I don't know much about his case, but it's a very similar thing where, where donations were made, in his case, to a political campaign. He went out and did certain things to benefit those donors. But the problem is that that is kind of the way government operates. You know, for what if someone? What if so? Getting back to Prococo, but he wasn't actually in government when he took these payments. He was on the campaign, and then he later returned to government. And the 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 prosecutors and the judge agreed, and the jury agreed. It was close enough. You used your official position. You took money. There was a quid pro quo, an action following a, a commitment, and that's the problem. And what the courts have been increasingly saying. Is no, you can't just put people in prison for doing things that seem unseemly, unless you're literally making a specific connection. Give me this money, and I will do this action, and there's a direct link. Then it's not. Then it's just politics. And I think that Shelly Silver got wrapped up in this, and his case was was scaled back before he was eventually uh, sent away. Uh, when uh, actually he was convicted, a lot of his crimes were were um, were found not to be actual crimes. The courts went back and made them retry that. Prococo is getting another bite at the apple. I think this court is increasingly going in the direction of saying, listen, you can't just say because there's money connected to the thing somehow that it is corrupt. There's money connected to everything
1: nowadays on every side of every case. Yeah, but you can't say that's the way it should be. I mean – you're basically saying if you have money, you get your way.
2: I know what I don't believe it should be. I believe we should have publicly financed campaigns. I think we should have much more transparency. I think we should have the people that get elected. I mean, I think that, 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 that you, if, if, you, if you don't want people advocating on behalf of a neighborhood hospital, that means you can't have them advocating on behalf of Planned Parenthood, advocating on behalf of the NRA, advocating on, on behalf of Guardian Angels. Look, you are, we have a system now, unfortunately, that if you have money, you get access. That's the bad way to do it. You know how you get rid of all of this. So we had a call about this in the last hour. Publicly financed campaigns.
1: Well, you're going to see that statewide now. They're going to have matching funds coming up. Right. So in this cycle, where you saw Zeldin win the Republican primary, Kathy Hochul win the Democratic primary, there was no matching funds. Did
2: you have? Did you accept matching funds as yes. a Republican? Okay. You and I are similar in that we didn't we don't belong to country clubs. We don't have big inheritances that we can go back to. We didn't we didn't get lucky at Solomon Brothers and get a big payout to leave. So the taxpayers said, All right, we're gonna if you went out and got a resident of Forest Hills or a resident of Flushing or a resident of Stapleton to give you a contribution, a local resident. We, the people of the city of New York, find that so much, so valuable, we're going to give you a matching funds on top of it. You give me an 8-to-1 match. 8-to-1. Yeah, as start, long as
1: you quantify, right. qualify.
2: And also, so long as you agree to things. Yes. Much tougher audits. Oh, yes. A lot of transparency. They break your they break your chops over it. When I, my first race for, for city council was only 2-to-1 match at the time. But that was enough to help me make my $20,000. They gave me a, a $40,000 check. And it made it possible. That's the way you get rid of money in politics. But I think what the court is getting ready to say is money in politics is a problem, but you can't go convicting everyone that takes a check and then gets an outcome that they, that they like, unless you can show a direct connection between those things.
1: Well, let me give you an idea of how close is Joe Pococco, the wartime consigliere.
2: And not a good dude, by the way.
1: No. I'll tell you. One time, uh, this is when I was with Melinda Katz, who was the borough president. She said, hey, uh, Joe Piccolo called me up. He wants to do a walk and talk, you know, about something that affected uh, the Borough Queens. I said, you're out of your mind. Walk and talk. He knows that the FBI is following him and photographing him. No, 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 no. Uh, you want to have a conversation with him? Hey, that's your business. But a walk and talk, that's what mobsters do. Hey, Curtis, we'll meet you in Forest Park there. We'll do a little walk and talk. That's crazy. Yeah, I actually, yeah.
2: Was that a thing that he did?
1: Well, that, a meeting at a diner, which could have been wired up like a Christmas tree. Uh, But he would be hardcore. So I'll give you an example. I'm going to be at the annual largest uh, and longest-running 4th of July parade on Monday in Travis in Staten Island. That's great. I suggest people come there. A lot of them had to cancel their travel plans, flights canceled, price of gasoline, too expensive, couldn't go more than 50 miles. Jersey has been voted the least patriotic state in the nation. Newark, the least patriotic city. I'm going to discuss this overnight going into Sunday because there's some merit to all of this. But these folks could come across the Outerbridge Bridge crossing, the Gothels Bridge, the Bayonne Bridge. You got to take a reverse mortgage and maybe a payday loan in order to pay the tolls. But this is an old fashioned patriotic place through the so side great. street. You've been there, right? Totally. That's and great. You have Democrats and Republicans. Most people don't realize. There are more registered Democrats in Staten Island than there are Republicans. They just have a habit from time to time of voting Republican. They they voted for Gore over uh, Bush 43 in 2000. But the point is, they're there. They have the hibachi grills. They have the lawn chairs. They have the flags. And naturally, as you mentioned, it's the number one beer consumption time of the year. They got the big coolers right. loaded with brewskis. They cheer everyone, Democrats or Republicans. It's not a political event. And when Cuomo would show up, sometimes he would show up, his advance team had Joe Pococo. Joe Pococo had graduated from Wagner College, and he would go up to all the Democrats and Republicans. You know, the governor is marching first. Yeah, but we have this protocol. You can forget the protocol. The governor is marching first. And by the way, I'll determine which Democrats march with him. So they would all get in a queue. <laughs> you know, they would be frightened. Because this guy was frightening. You know, yeah. he would drive around in a uh, state-owned car. He'd have baseball bats, claiming he was playing softball, obviously, in his off hours, in the trunk of the car. But he can intimidate the hell
2: out of you. Yeah, he was all, I mean, he was a classic bully. I mean, there's this classic video of, in 2018, there was a parade. What was the name of the woman he ran against in the Democratic primary? The
1: oh, woman? Cynthia
2: Nixon. Cynthia Nixon. And Prococo, who's a big guy, it's like putting his back and, like, pushing her back so that she wouldn't be in any of the pictures and she wouldn't be able to go up and say hello to the – yeah, and he would do this stuff on Twitter. He's just a, not a nasty, mean, not very – he's – he's look, there are a lot of these types around Cuomo, like this whole, like, the, his muscle and whatever it is. But all of that being said, the, he, the, I think he raises a legitimate question about, generally speaking, the criminalization of politics. Like, you know, yes, there's money in politics. And it all started with the McConnell case when he was a governor, when he was a a governor where the governor of Virginia, scandal that led to his downfall. Uh, He had a donor that said uh, that was selling a a vitamin supplement supplement or something like that. He calls to his health department and said, meet with this guy who is my donor, doesn't say he's my donor, and see if you can help him out. He actually wound up being put on trial and convicted for that action because they say it was a quid pro quo. And the Supreme Court in a nine to nothing ruling said, no, you're criminalizing. That's just what when a governor gets a call, just because it's his supporter and donor doesn't mean that he can't do something for them. And it's a similar thing that happened with with Shelley Silver. It's a similar thing that happened with the with the Republican leader of the state Senate. There was a lot of prosecuting of these guys at the same time, and Prococo was was one of them. And I think he raised an interesting case. And the Supreme Court wouldn't be saying, I want to take this if they didn't want to do something.
1: Speaking of another parade, Veterans Day parade, as you know, the largest uh, was always Little Neck Douglas. And you were a regular feature. And Cuomo would be there.
2: My thing was I would never cross into the uh, Little Neck side. I mean, into the... All right, now to for the Nassau side. I would parade ostentatiously. No, it would start in Nassau. I would wait for them in Queens. I'm right. like, I'm not leaving here. I'm a mayoral candidate, and I'm not going over there into Nassau. And,
1: and it used to be huge. Oh, it's ginormous, yeah. But it's where Cuomo grew up. Right. So Cuomo would go to that parade, and I always knew that. So as the parade was coming down the hill, I would be going up the hill, timing myself, because knowing Cuomo would be in the lead. And Joe Pacoco would run interference. He would see me naturally. And I would go up to Cuomo. It was like the scene on the King King of Comedy. Remember with De Niro and Jerry Lewis? Hey, Andrew, you don't know me anymore? <laughs> you don't know me? And Andrew had an anger management issue right. at the time. He'd start counting backwards because just looking at me would drive him nuts. And Pococo would try to muscle me out of the way. So people <laughs> were wondering, what's going on? Pococo was, get out of here, Sleeper. Come on, get out of here. Hey, Andrew, you don't know me anymore? I'm a person of <laughs> no consequence. And he'd be muttering to himself. And I it, it, I, I had such naches doing this. Oh,
2: yeah. You, you got under his squint for sure. He was actually a fairly easy guy to throw off his game, Andrew. He was like, he, 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 got, he got he got flustered fairly easy because he's such a tough guy. So that if you, if you poked him a little bit like
1: you did, he um, he intense. didn't like it. He was too intense. Anyway, yeah. when we come back, you know, following us every week is the best of, really worst of Frank Marano, the other side of midnight. He got pumped today. Thank God. And they have this special on morning shows that have existed here in WABC as we approach our hundredth anniversary. They mention every morning show that ever existed since they were spinning stacks of wax and then went all talk. Probably in the history of WABC and the Pro I didn't even get a mention. And by the way, I get distant and dismissed, and you know who gets rewarded overnight? Frank Morano, wait till you hear what's happening coming up Well, when up they next. do the Mount
2: Rushmore of WABC talk radio, he's not going to be on it. You are, Curtis.
1: No. No, no, wait. Wait till you hear what's coming up next. Surprise, surprise. The golden child of talk radio, the untouchable Frank Morano, the future, the here and now of talk radio, is going to have a syndicated show all across the nation starting Monday. July 4th, right here, his Mothership Connection, WABC.
0: It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. Oh,
1: you're trying to calm me down here, huh? What happened to the American music for uh, Independence Day? Is he American, this guy? You know, I'm blinded. I'm blinded. Did you hear this promo about the weekends at WABC, right? You think I'm paranoid, neurotic, like all my ex-wives used to be, right? Still are. Uh, not a mention of Curtis Lee, Vinny Madugno, the rising star here at WABC, is a teacher by at Richmond High School entertains a night, has two programs on the weekend, 5 to 6 before his mentor, Cousin Brucey, on Saturday, 5 to 6 Sunday before Joe Piscopo, the Sinatra, two-hour extravaganza, Ramsey, Ramsey Monster. Then they mention, of course, Cousin Brucey. Then they mention Tony Orlando without Dawn. Not a mention of me. You think, you think
0: I'm I, paranoid in
2: the I assume it's because the next episode is entirely just about Curtis Lee well and the history of, that you have at the station. Otherwise, I'd be a little bit nervous.
1: No, let me tell you what's going on here. We had a meeting about the overnights. Because as you know, Frank Morano, he's the ratings leader. He uh, is on from 1 to 5, Monday through Friday mornings, following Dominic Carter. And he clearly is the ratings leader here at WABC. More people tune in to Frank Marano when he's on the air than any other show here at WABC. I'm right behind him, but I still can't touch this guy. So an opportunity came up for syndication. Wow, this is like overnight. Big time. You die for syndication. I mean, think of it. Over the year, I don't know if you were listening at the time. I don't think you were. Birthed to uh, Anthony Long, John Nebel, Candy Jones at the WMCA. Was maybe the greatest um, advocate of theater of the mind overnight, and this guy was amazing. And then remember Larry King. He started doing course, overnight yeah. radio across the, hey from Moose Lodge in Saskatchewan, Canada. Fred, what's on your mind? Great show overnight. And then of course we had our own Alan B. Combs overnight. It was great theater of the mind. He wasn't political then. Great entertainment. Unfortunately, uh, our friend Alan is no longer with us. I miss him dearly. I know you do, too, Anthony. Yep, yep. Just a great guy, great talk show host, great entertainer. But none greater than Art Bell, the Looney Kazuni from Parts Unknown. And I used to be his adversary because I would come on before him. I declared Radio Jihad against Art Bell. This is before the attack of 9-11. Right, right. <laughs> and I eliminated that. Because I'll never forget, at the time, the program manager, Phil Boyce, uh, came to me and said, you know... Art Bell, he's all over the nation now. He's massive. We're taking an hour from your show. What? An extra hour of Art Bell. And it turns out after me going to war against Art Bell, he came to the mothership station, WABC, because he used to broadcast from a double wide body trailer in Pahrump, Nevada. You could see Vegas in the distance. One traffic light town with the chicken shack down the road where they had legal prostitution. The guy was very eccentric, but he actually had a one-on-one sit-down with me. He grew up in Patterson. He was the son of a building superintendent, and he would go to the rooftops with his Sony transistor radio, and in the wee hours of the morning, he would listen to Long John Nebel and Candy Jones, and that's where he developed his That's how a we style got to start. From. Yeah, wow. So ownership and management, they had two overnight shows here. Obviously, Frank does five. I do two. And they basically said, it's not your time, Curtis. It's not your time. We're going with the future and the here and now on talk radio, the golden child, the untouchable Frank Morano. On Monday, he starts a syndicated show across the nation in overnights, the other side of midnight. And, you know, right on the heels of Art Bell. He's going to end up with a lot of the same But well, He
2: is very good. I mean, I got to tell you, Marano, he, he he is very good. Now, I am on Team Curtis. I've said that all the way along. But it is remarkable that that might be the future, starting on Monday. But the history of this, this station, you the, the the DNA of Curtis Lee was all over the history of this station to leave you out of these promos and to leave. I assume you're going to be in that in that episode that's going to feature tonight. I'm sure. No, that, no, no,
1: episode six. It's following. It's coming up now from four to five. Not yeah. mentioned in the promos. I might
2: add. Yeah, I'm sure you're in there. I'll bet I'm you. I'm, sure I'm left it's an, on the
1: cutting room floor.
2: No, you're you're going to be in there. I, you got to be you got to be. You cannot tell the story of 77 WABC news and radio, news and music, and uh, throughout the years, 100 years, well, you can't tell that story without courtesy.
1: I Lee. need our listeners to listen because look outside. Look who's waiting for me, Anthony. They followed me over from the Upper West Side where I live, West 87th off Columbus, all my pigeons because I'm the pigeon man. Yep. i got to feed them. They've been waiting very patiently. They haven't flocked over here like uh, Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds, <laughs> but they're hungry. So, ladies and gentlemen, I gotta feed the pigeons. You gotta listen to episode six now, coming up from four to five, before Vinnie Madugno begins the entertainment block here at WABC, and listen intently and let me know if I get left on the cutting room floor.
2: Uh, I I, def- I will definitely be listening, and that would be an outrage second to none. That would be an outrage if you were not included. In
1: Although they spent hours and days of going through old audio. Going back almost 100 years, you know, it's going to be our 100th anniversary. We were WJZ in Newark. That's where it started, on the rooftop of Westinghouse, the factory. They were building radios, and they said, well, we might as well start a radio station. We got all these radios, and nobody's buying them. And that first year, they broadcast from on top of the Westinghouse factory, I think near Down Neck, uh, near um, the Ironbound section, and that became WABC. It was a little right. chicken shack up in New York, and then they moved to New York, and you know the rest, the rest of the history. No, they them. were
2: po- they were rock radio when I was listening to it. I guess it must have been the seventies I mean,
1: when I started listening to music. And think, we would have been gone. Cumulus was ready to push, uh, put us on the ash heap like they did. PLJ, our sister PLJ FM station. When all of a sudden John and Margot Katz rode to the rescue. He grew up listening to WABC. Yep. Uh, when they spun stacks of wax. And now, it's like we've resurrected back. I just hope he's ready for the protest, because if they don't have you
2: included in there, all your sleeveless, whatever you call your followers, the sleewish mashuganas or whatever they are, they're going to be protesting if you're not included in there. I'm going to be listening. Gotta listen up next, ladies and gentlemen.
1: With the Sultan.